Hi, listeners. You can now listen to this community podcast production ad-free on Apple Podcasts and access the podcast one week early and get exclusive bonus content. Just hit the subscribe button now on Apple Podcasts. Or if you want access to all of the above, plus video versions of the podcast, head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. I'm Sarah Ferris, true crime podcaster. And I'm Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. And you're listening to Stop the Killing. Right, Catherine, this is a bonus episode for Stop the Killing. We're going to be looking at the FBI active shooter report for 2021. Yeah, it just came out this week. Actually, I was at lunch with the head of the program, the guy who runs the program I used to run, when the report was released. And he looked up at me from our table at uh, Oyamel, where we were snacking on tortilla chips. And he (laughs) said, hey, guess what was just released? So I thought, well, let's get our listeners kind of the most up-to-date information that we have, what the FBI saw in 2021 with regard to these types of shootings. Well, what a wild lunch that sounds like. I do crazy stuff. <laughs> you really do. <laughs> okay, so what can you tell us about the report? Where do you want to start with this? Yeah, you know, I, let's just dive in and give you some numbers first, and then we'll talk about what those numbers mean. Okay, so this report shows that the FBI designated 61 shootings in 2021 as active shooter incidents. Mm -hmm. So for our listeners, remember, active shooter incidents are when one or more individuals is actively engaged in killing or attempting to kill people in a populated area. Okay, just to clarify, is this report classing incidents on how many deaths or is it purely the active shooting that it's looking at in those numbers? No, it's the act. That's a very common question. A lot of researchers start with a cutoff. They don't want to look at all the shootings. So they say, well, we're going to look at shootings that are two or more, shootings that are three or more. But the FBI's focus in their research is no matter you know how good of a shot the shooter is, is the shooter actively engaged in killing or attempted to kill people in a populated area? Okay. And I'm going to add a caveat to the research. This does not encompass all gun-related shootings. It doesn't include gang violence, uh, drug violence, self-defense, a domestic situation that occurs in a home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It also doesn't include like a controlled kind of barricaded hostage situation where we find out there's a shooter someplace. We go to that scene. We know he's in that building threatening to kill everybody from his office or his wife or something like that. So these are actions that appear to put others in peril The shootings are in public places, sometimes more than one public place, right? And this is why we're researching it. What is prompting these kinds of shootings and how can we stop these kinds of shootings? Because we know what goes on with gangs. We know what happens in a domestic situation when a husband or a wife kills their spouse in a murder-suicide. So these are a smaller subset of all the types of gun deaths that we have in the United States, but they're the ones that catch the most media. They're the ones that set us off when we're talking, and they're the ones that keep me up at night. Yeah, understandably too, because part of the makeup of these active shooter events that we've seen in the in the past episodes we've done anyway, they can happen anywhere and they can happen to anyone at any time. You could be in a movie theater, you could be at school, or you could be at your place of work. 
Exactly. And we've learned so much since we started this research. Uh, we mm. have now have 22 years of research. It's really helpful. So what can you tell me about the figures for 2021? So just cold uh, numbers. There are 61 shootings that caused 243 casualties. And casualties, a word that's often uh, used improperly, but as a writer, I'd love to tell you that means wounded or injured. little tip for our listeners there in their grammar classes. So 243 casualties, and of those, 103 people were killed. So really what that tells me is that the number of people killed in these incidents is kind of consistent over the years. There's usually a couple of people killed at every scene. And for comparison, Catherine, we're looking at 61 incidents in 2021. So what was the figure for 2020? 40 incidents. 40 incidents to 61. Right. Okay. A 52%, 53% increase. But just going back to 2019, we went from 30 incidents to two years later, 61 incidents. Wow. That's more than doubled. So that's a question, right? That's like a putting a pin in that one. Why, 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 right? But let's keep talking about the numbers because these are hard and fast numbers. These are based on police reports provided to the FBI based on their incidents. So that's a super valuable. Mm -hmm. It's the only research in the world done like this on shootings. So there were 61 incidents. They occurred in 30 of our 50 states. So California and Texas, most incidents, Georgia, Colorado, Florida. Okay. Now, my knowledge of the U.S. states isn't great, but am I right in thinking that those states like California and Texas, they've got bigger populations, and so you could possibly expect to see more incidents based on per capita, say, than some of the smaller states? Yeah. California is a big, big, big state. And is Colorado a big state then? No, Colorado just likes to have, they just have problems. No. And I mean, when I say shootings, Colorado had four in the year. And imagine four shootings in your state that fell into this category. That's a lot. California had six, Texas had five, Georgia had five. And for the people who are listening who ask, well, what about guns? Some of those states have really stringent gun laws. Some of them don't have stringent gun laws. So we're not talking about guns today. We're just talking about numbers. But just, you know, a little bit of context. In uh, 2021, there were two law enforcement officers killed and five injured as they engaged the shooter. I mentioned that because that means there were seven casualties for law enforcement in 2021. If I went back just a year, that number would increase from seven to 12. Okay. So the numbers are going down for law enforcement casualties. Right. Because law enforcement is training, especially for the last five or so years. Mm -hmm. They've been training and focusing on how to get to the scene safer, Mm -hmm. stay alive, and neutralize the shooter. And if you look back further, is there a pattern of these law enforcement casualties declining at all? Let me tell you what it was in our original study, which would have been from 2000 to 2013. Mm-hmm. And we looked at law enforcement casualties. It, during that time period, it's a bigger time period, there were 45 separate incidents where law enforcement had to engage with the shooter. In our original study, there were 21 casualties, including nine officers who were killed. 47% of the time, law enforcement suffered injuries or death when they engaged the shooter. That means to me, we're doing so much better. Okay. So if we were to bring those figures to life, for those of us with brains that shut down whenever we hear numbers, say we were to take Officer Smith and drop her into an active shooter situation in 2013, you're saying she would have had around a 50-50 chance of getting home unscathed that night. But 
if you were to put the same Officer Smith into an active shooter situation in 2021, her odds have improved now and she's 88% likely to be able to get home that night without having been injured or shot. Is that right? Right. I think we are doing better on that. And I and I will say that because I have my handy dandy chart right here, I'm just going to tell you of the 61 incidents, and I can't do math for those of you doing math, 17 were law enforcement engaged, meaning law enforcement had to engage in order to stop the shooter. So this is a lot of numbers, but maybe for those three listeners of ours who really love math, this is going to be fantastic for them. 17 of 61 incidents, law enforcement had to engage to stop the shooter. So how did the rest of those 61 incidents end then? A lot of times individuals shoot themselves. Of the 61, 11 of them, the shooter committed suicide. 14 of them, the shooters were killed by law enforcement. And in four, shooters were killed by citizens. So a little bit of good guy with a gun. Not very common, but four of them, lots more shootings, lots more opportunities. The fact that there were 17 ended or engaged with police, what does that stat mean to you? The year before, there were eight instances where law enforcement engaged. Now there's 17. That tells me that law enforcement is getting to the scene faster and potentially saving lives. And that's really what we want to have happen, right? Obviously, we want to stop a shooter from getting to the scene at all. We, we want that to never happen. But if the shooter gets there, we want a chance for law enforcement to get there and and stop the shooting if the civilians on scene can't do it themselves. So let me tell you what I think that means. We have a lot more incidents that have occurred in the United States, but when we talk about how that translates into uh, casualties, I think this is something that I find kind of interesting. So if you went back just three years and and you said, how many incidents occurred in 2019? Because I bet you're writing these down because I know how you are. Here's your quiz. Well, there was 30. Is that right? Okay. No, say it with confidence. 30. (laughs) It was 30, wasn't it? It was 30. You're correct. The number of casualties in 2019 was 258. Okay. Okay. So that's your marker. Right. How many shootings in 2020? 40. The casualties were 164. Oh, less casualties. Okay. Interesting. How many shootings in 2021? 61 incidents and 243 casualties. Our casualty rate is going down. This is the first time I've seen that ever. So in the last four years, our casualty rate has kind of uh, parred out. It's a little higher one year, a little lower one year, but this is the first time we've seen it lower. If I could show you a chart, which I can't because we're on the wire, as my grandmother would say. If you looked at a chart on the casualty rates in the original study that we did, you would see that there is a straight up trend line. As the number of shootings increased, so did the casualty rates. But now we're seeing less casualties. So compare that with the law enforcement response conversation mm-hmm. we just had. Right. We're winning. Yes. You're winning with one hand. Right. But the bigger elephant in the room is the number has grown. So correct. what does that tell you? Well, it tells me that when it happens, we know what to do. People are heeding the run-hide fight that they're learning across the world. And they're learning how to protect themselves when an incident occurs. So, you know, every potential incident is prevention. Right. And what I'm hearing from you then is that we're learning how to deal with it when a shooting's actually started, but we aren't learning how to prevent it in the first place, which is where the numbers are going up. So better at reacting than preventing. Right. So if you were to plow through my book, which I'm sure you do every time you're on vacation, um, (laughs) (laughs) as as should everybody, right? Because what a wonderful topic to read on the beach. Mm -hmm. 
when we do analysis on it, we talk about prevention, response, and recovery. And those are three very different phases. Every single thing that we deal with in life that is an occurrence has a a before, a during, and an after. And the before is that prevention. And 10 of my 14 chapters are on prevention. We need to do a better job of prevention. But during is civilian response, law enforcement response. We're seeing better responses there. So we've made a lot of progress there. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital or maybe you just lost it? Well, stubforge.com is here to change that. Imagine this. Tickets that not only look but feel like the real deal. Because each ticket from Stubforge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. But Stubforge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements or parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, Stubforge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With Stubforge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift, or send the coolest invites, head over to stubforge.com. Start creating today and see how Stubforge makes every ticket a story worth saving. Visit stubforge.com and start making tickets today. If you're enjoying Stop the Killing, check out more podcasts from Community Podcast Productions, like this one. Something is creeping in, don't follow it down. Let me introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now, you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. So of the prevention, response, and recovery, 
this report that everybody else sees is horrible, I see as a validation that we're doing a better job in response. Mm -hmm. And that's good news. It's bad news in terms of prevention because we're still seeing that trend line increasing where the initial research years, 2000 to 2006, there was an average of six incidents a year. And now we're at 60. Wow. I mean, the increase is phenomenal, isn't it? 10 years and six to 60. Does anyone know why there has been such a market increase? I think that the increase, when you're talking about prevention, you know, that's obviously a different conversation. And that's why we do the podcast, because prevention is a very complicated issue. Um, That's why so many chapters in my book have to do with prevention. So the whys in the prevention, there's a lot of reasons for, but the report doesn't talk about why. The report gives us the numbers on response, and it doesn't even address recovery. Okay, let's pull out some more numbers then. Well, I think one thing that's interesting, we've talked a little bit about it, is uh, citizen engagement. There's a lot of discussion in the United States about good guy with a gun Mm -hmm. and, you know, should people carry guns? And my goodness, as every shooting increases, we have some states that that create stricter gun laws, and then we have other states that just throw their gun laws out the door. Yeah. So, you know, time will tell once we start parsing out and applying the changing gun laws to maybe potential incidents, but even that is hard to actually do from a research standpoint. But I will say that we continue to have a very small number, but any one counts, right? One person who saves one life is enough for me. Of these 61 incidents in 2021, and I'm going to add this caveat, for people who are good guy with a gun advocates, Here's what I tell my class at DePaul University. I teach a class on the Second Amendment. And here's what I tell my students. I don't care what side, the political side you're on, you better have good stats. You better have good numbers, argue your point as a lawyer should with facts and not opinions mm-hmm. and not emotions. Yeah. So whatever side of the gun debate world you're on, if you're arguing good guy with a gun, argue to your heart's content, but use numbers. And so here's what this report shows for last year. In 2021, in two incidents, citizens engaged a shooter. In one of those incidents, the citizen sustained injuries. And here are the two incidents. In one incident, seven employees exchanged multiple volleys of gunfire with a shooter. Four of them during the final encounter resulting in the death of a shooter. Not your most common situation. Sorry. Let me just see if I've understood that correctly. There's more than one employee with a gun shooting at the shooter. Yeah, I don't want to freak you out here. I'm going to throw the fact out here that this occurred at the Jefferson Gun Outlet in Louisiana. (laughs) I should not laugh, but... I'm sorry. That's a bold place to start a fight. This is like an army of good guys with a gun. Right. So seven employees pulled guns and eventually shot the shooter. And two people were killed, a customer and an employee, and two employees were wounded. One was shot in the arm, the other in the leg. And then the shooter was killed at the scene by an armed employee. So that was the first incident at the Jefferson Gun Outlet. So when we talk about good guy with a gun, let's appreciate the perspective, right? So in this calendar year with these stats, we had a increase in incidents where citizen involvement did impact the engagement. In four situations, a citizen confronted a shooter, right? And sometimes when that happens, the shooting stops, right? That's our goal. So the good part is that we see citizen engagement that ends a shooting. So in one instance, two citizens confronted and tackled a shooter until law enforcement arrived. Wow. Incident over. In another, a teacher disarmed and detained a student shooter 
until law enforcement arrived. Incredible. In the third, an armed citizen shot and killed a gunman who had just ambushed a law enforcement officer. Wow. So somebody who saw a law enforcement officer killed, and then he was armed and he killed the gunman. Unbelievable. In the fourth one, an armed employee shot and killed a shooter. And the shooter was an employee who had been fired that day. There are these different instances where citizens were involved. Some involved guns and some didn't. So, I mean, I think what we're seeing, and that's a very, you know, fine parsing of it, but what we're seeing is that civilians remain engaged in stopping. And I think it's not unlike what you hear people say when you get on an airplane now and say that no one's taken my airplane down into the fields of Pennsylvania again. So, um, you know, people are saying, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to step in. And so people are stepping in more and they're stepping in, not because they're armed, they're stepping in. And of those civilians that intervened, were there any injuries or deaths? Don't believe there were any civilian injuries. Amazing. Okay, that's good news. I just wanted to add uh, a little bit about where these shootings occur, because people always say, oh, schools, 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 schools. But of the 61 incidents that occurred in 2021, 32 of them occurred in places of commerce. So basically half, right? And so, and only two occurred in an educational environment. Not what people would necessarily think. No, you've actually shocked me because we've done so many episodes on school shootings. Well, I don't want to say it was a good year for schools. No year is a good year for schools. But most of the shootings do occur in places of commerce, mostly in a business environment that's open to pedestrian traffic, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, stores, restaurants, bars, very common. And we also see managers killed, right? Superiors killed, occasionally others, like security officers have been killed before, handful of law enforcement officers. But a lot of these incidents do occur in places of commerce. That is where your biggest risk is. And sometimes people don't think about that. So I just want you to think, you know, know where your exits are and know that 70% of them occur in five minutes or less. Half of that occur in two minutes or less. Do something to keep yourself safe for two minutes. And is that a trend that we've seen continuing over time in terms of numbers being higher in commerce versus, say, schools? 20 years of data that shows us that in almost half of every shooting occurs in some place of commerce. When you're looking at the location stats, is there anything that sticks out to you as a bucking of the trend? Well, probably the fact that there are only two in an educational environment is reflective of the fact that we've had a couple of COVID years, right? Of course, of course that makes right. sense. So, I mean, I think that that's something we just have to take into consideration. Because I think in part because the 2021 was clearly a good COVID year, the incidents were all, probably a fewer in some of the other locations that we track incident locations for. One in a healthcare facility, one in a house of worship, two in educational facilities, three in a government facility, three in a residential facility, and not surprisingly, 19 in an open space. Everybody's practicing their COVID protocols. You know, the two school shootings resulted in four deaths and 10 wounded. All students, you know, not making light of that, pointing out, though, that that's still two per event, right, mm-hmm. for the schools in average. So in some ways, there are smaller numbers. So when we have a, a shooting like Sandy Hook or a shooting like we've seen in Oxford or Parkland in Florida or in Texas now, those are less common, but the casualty rates are very high. So the schools are always there. But if you look at the top five locations for casualties, maybe the top six, you would have a grocer, a packing facility, another grocer, right? And then public spaces and a high school. 
That tells me that businesses, when you think you don't need to be engaged in this conversation, let me ask you how safe do you feel in the grocery store? The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network. I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? Download American Vigilante now. The study, of course, revalidates that 60 shootings, 60 men, right? And one female shooter. I would say that it's just very incidental to have a female shooter. Sometimes what we have is a shooter who is with a spouse or or something like that. Right. Now, I've always said the average age is um, 35. But the biggest age range for this particular year fell more into the 25 to 34 age group of the 60 incidents. 18 of the shooters fell into that category. So that's a little bit of a kind of a downward trend. Mm. Any thoughts on that? Why that might be? You know, I feel like my unscientific answer is the people who are committing shooting are often distressed for various reasons. You know, they are grievance collectors. And in an age when the economy is challenged and COVID is challenging all of us, who's losing their job when almost everybody's laid off? You know, it's going to be the younger employees as opposed to the older ones. And so mm-hmm. I think that there's some aspect of the pandemic just really has helped to push along kind of some trends. And it'll take time for us to see how that plays out. I wonder also, do you think that whole contagion effect is what's driving it and therefore the people that are wanting the fame from a shooting are in that younger generation maybe? Is that a possibility? Yeah, I think it is possible and I think we'll see that, right? 20 years ago, we didn't have an internet that everybody could get onto their websites. People get on and there's websites that are dedicated to mass shootings where the chat rooms talk about what guns to use and who did what and how many people were killed and What's the best Kevlar to wear and horrible things like that. We're still working on a lot of research on this, but based on that idea of availability, you're finding like-minded individuals. And, you know, I think we saw this up in Buffalo, New York. We saw a shooter who said himself he was bored during the pandemic and he started surfing online and he ran across some hate speak, basically. And he radicalized himself based on what he was reading and decided that he was a white supremacist and then he was going to go find a neighborhood. So he was very young Mm. and he did that. And he went and found a black neighborhood in uh, Buffalo, New York. Catherine, as somebody who's watched those figures year in and year out since, you know, you co-wrote the first ever research back in the day, how do the figures of 2021 make you feel? 
to me, I see the bigger picture. And I think that even though these are higher casualty counts than say over the last few years, I think the casualties are, are leveling off in some ways. The incidents are increasing, but the casualties aren't at the same rate. We're still doing a not as good a job at prevention, but we're doing a better job at response and a better job at recovery. And it's just like a big puzzle board. We got to have all the parts of the puzzle working in order to see what the picture is. Well, it's been another informative and timely bonus episode. We thought that in light of the Uvalde school massacre and the renewed gun debate, it's important for everyone to understand just how far the figures show America has come in some areas. And sadly, just how far it has to go in others. Make sure to subscribe because the release of season two is just around the corner. You can find out exactly when on Instagram. Head to at Stop the Killing Stories and you'll be the first to know when we release episode one of season two, which will be kicking off with what many view as America's mass shooting origin story, the 1966 Texas Towers shooting. And let me tell you, season two of Stop the Killing is next level. We are joined by some incredible guests. So do hang around to the end of this episode for the season two trailer. But in the meantime, I want to ask Catherine, what cherry little nugget are you going to leave our listeners with? I love that everybody is thinking about what to do when it happens and they're responding in a better way, but we're still not winning the war on prevention Everybody should look to the one or two things they can do. And I think those couple of things that are most important are, please be kind. You have no idea what other people are going through at any given moment. And then secondarily, please keep an eye out for and take care of the people around you as if they were about to launch off committing suicide. People are thinking about doing things right now. You may have a kid or a neighbor or a coworker who is thinking about committing a mass murder. Are you looking for it? Thanks for listening. And if you want to know more, Catherine's book, Stop the Killing, is out now. For more details, go to katherineschweit.com. Please consider also supporting our independently made podcast. It's simple to do. Go to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. And for as little as the price of a latte a month, you can be part of the solution to stop the killing. Patreon rewards range from official do-gooder status to ad-free episodes, autographed books, and opportunities to connect with us directly for your business, school, church, or even just a book club chat. But just knowing that you are part of a movement that has the power to make your community safer, well, that's got to taste better than a skinny cappuccino any day. So please head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing now and polish off your do-gooder halo and make sure to include your name so we can give you a shout out. This podcast is a community podcast production. That's con with an N. If you want more content, then head over to community podcast at Instagram, where you'll find trailers on more binge-worthy true crime, like the award-winning podcast Conning the Con. And check out our show notes for all the links mentioned. Finally, if you want one takeaway action that you can do right now that can help make our community safer, Please share, rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. Everybody needs to know that they hold the keys to see something and say something. Together, we can stop the killing. It's one of those things you hope never happens, but you better train for it. Because it will happen. And it will happen in places you wouldn't expect. Be ready for it.
coming up in season two of Stop the Killing. The top five countries in firearm ownership rate ranked highly in mass shooters per capita. If you would have told me that a Columbine could have happened at Columbine, I would have said no way. I remember just thinking, he's got a gun. Something rose up inside, and I said, not my school. If I was a terrorist, and I knew that the chance of me getting slotted in less than eight minutes is extraordinarily high, then the message that sits by that is, come and shoot, and you're going to die, because we're going to come and deal with you. What we can't underestimate is the power that individuals could have in stopping these school shootings. My little boy, Alex, was murdered. If we can fix the failures, we can save lives. And this guy calls up, and he says, Principal D'Angelo, I just killed my stepfather and I'm going to carry out a school shooting. I hope that this was a prank call. And he said, Frank, I don't know how to tell you this. We just found his stepfather dead. My daughter, Elena, was killed. She'd want me to do something about this. I know she would do something about it. Make sure you hit the subscribe button and be the first to hear season two of Stop the Killing. If you've enjoyed Stop the Killing, check out more podcasts from Community Podcast Productions, like this one. Twenty-four hours ago, I found out the person that I've been dating for the last six months is a con man. That is my sister Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested three hundred thousand dollars with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series. And that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real-life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. 24 hours ago, I found out the person that I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder... All this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real-life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. Welcome to the Bravery Academy. My name is Emma Ferris and I'm your host. This podcast is crafted to share the stories of courageous individuals who have overcome adversity and found the courage to live their best lives. We'll explore the science of well-being, courage and connection and interview top thought leaders, game changers and survivors. It is from these stories that we learn what resilience is, how to heal, how to recover and how to be brave.